Hello, everyone, and welcome again to The Mystic Show. My name is Chris Curran, and uh, this show is just a bunch of spiritual beings kind of hanging out, talking about spirituality, personal development. Anyway, happy you could join me this morning. We do the show every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh... It's a one-hour show, and it's broadcast on the Fractal Stream, and um, and it's also replayed on the Fractal Stream in the evening, and it's also archived on our website, which is themysticshow.net, and if you go to the website, themysticshow.net, you can see all the previous episodes. You can browse by title. They're all labeled really well. Um... And we have quite a few episodes up there now. I think we're we're almost uh, we're getting close to forty, which is amazing because we started uh, September 9th. Today's October thirtieth, and uh, so tomorrow's Halloween. I don't, I don't, I didn't plan on doing any special show for Halloween. I mean, I mean maybe we could talk about ghosts for a little bit, <laughs> but. Uh, Anyhow, one of the cool things about this show is that you, yes, you, are able to call and talk with us. And our phone number and our Skype handle are on the website. So you can call using Skype. It's free. Uh, or you can use your phone. Give us a call. If you go to the website, you can find the, the, that information easily. Um, so our Skype handle is Fractal Stream, and our phone number is 973-498-8033. Again, 973-498-8033. And uh, I'm happy to be here. It's actually still dark out. It's getting, and I and I think uh, the daylight savings is gonna kick in. I think in a, another week or two, um, pretty soon. So then, then I was trying to figure it out the other day. Then I guess it becomes uh, lighter. It gets lighter earlier, and then the sun goes down earlier, also, which is good because now I'm starting the show in the dark. Yep, it's still dark. Actually, the horizon is just starting to become dark blue. So that's a good sign. Um, What else did I mention? Did I not mention? We are on Twitter as well. Have you connected with us on Twitter? At The Mystic Show? You can follow us there. And uh, so, yeah. So we've been reading from our James Allen book, Above Life's Turmoil. And, uh, yeah, this one is... This one is, in a way, it's heavier than uh, than the last James Allen book we read. The last book was Byways of Blessedness. This one is called Above Life's Turmoil. James Allen, of course, the English mystic. And this this one is a little more heavier into, meaning more into, uh, more into the spirituality part of it. I think it goes deeper into some of the concepts. 
Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but it's hard to compare, right? How do you compare? It's difficult. So the section we're going to read today is called Belief, the Basis of Action. Belief, the Basis of Action. All right, so let's just get right into it. And as I mentioned before, if you're listening at home and you're comfortable and you're relaxing, um, you may want to close your eyes while you're listening to uh, this reading. Uh, and, and, you know, just really relax and focus on it. And if you're driving, of course, don't close your eyes. And if you're out running or jogging, like a lot of our listeners are, um, you can't close your eyes either. But you could still focus and just relax. I think relaxing is the big part. Um, all right, so let's get right into it. Again, this is uh, the section called Belief, the Basis of Action from Above Life's Turmoil by James Allen. Belief is an important word in the teachings of the wise, and it figures prominently in all religions. According to Jesus, a certain kind of belief is necessary to salvation or regeneration. And Buddha definitely taught that right belief is the first and most essential step in the way of truth. As without right belief, there cannot be right conduct. And he who has not learned how to rightly govern and conduct himself has not yet comprehended the simplest rudiments of truth. Belief, as laid down by the great teachers, is not belief in any particular school, philosophy, or religion, but consists of an attitude of mind determining the whole course of one's life. Belief and conduct are, therefore, inseparable, for the one determines the other. Belief is the basis of all action, and, this being so, the belief which dominates the heart's or mind is shown in the life. Every man acts, thinks, lives in exact accordance with the belief which is rooted in his innermost being. And such is the mathematical nature of the laws which govern his mind that it is absolutely impossible for anyone to believe in two opposing conditions at the same time. For instance, it is impossible to believe in justice and injustice, hatred and love, peace and strife, self and truth. Every man believes in one or the other of these opposites, 
never in both. And the daily conduct of every man indicates the nature of his belief. The man who believes in justice, who regards it as an eternal and indestructible principle, never boils over with righteous indignation, does not grow cynical and pessimistic over the inequalities of life, and remains calm and untroubled through all trials and difficulties. It is impossible for him to act otherwise, for he believes that justice reigns, and that, therefore, all that is called injustice is fleeting and illusory. The man who is continually getting enraged over the injustice of his fellow men, who talks about himself being badly treated, or who mourns over the lack of justice in the world around him, shows by his conduct, his attitude of mind, that he believes in injustice. However he may protest to the contrary, in his inmost heart, he believes that confusion and chaos are dominant in the universe, the result being that he dwells in misery and unrest, and his conduct is faulty. Again, he who believes in love, in its stability and power, practices it under all circumstances never deviates from it, and bestows it alike upon enemies as upon friends. He who slanders and condemns, who speaks disparagingly of others, or regards them with contempt, believes not in love, but hatred. All his actions prove it, even though with tongue or pen he may eulogize love. The believer in peace is known by his peaceful conduct. It is impossible for him to engage in strife. If attacked, he does not retaliate, for he has seen the majesty of the angel of peace and he can no longer pay homage to the demon of strife. The stirrer up of strife, the lover of argument, he who rushes into self-defense upon any or every provocation, believes in strife, and will have naught to do with peace. Further, he who believes in truth renounces himself. That is, he refuses to center his life in those passions, desires, and characteristics 
which crave only their own gratification. And by thus renouncing, he becomes steadfastly fixed in truth and lives a wise, beautiful, and blameless life. The believer in self is known by his daily indulgences, gratifications, and vanities, and by the disappointments, sorrows, and mortifications which he continually suffers. The believer in truth does not suffer, for he has given up that self which is the cause of such suffering. It will be seen by the foregoing that every man believes either in permanent or eternal principles directing human life toward law and harmony, or in the negation of those principles, with the resultant chaos in human affairs and in his own life. Belief in the divine principles of justice, compassion, love, constitutes the right belief laid down by Buddha as being the basis of right conduct and also the belief unto salvation as emphasized in the Christian scriptures. For he who so believes cannot do otherwise than build his whole life upon these principles and so purifies his heart and perfects his life. Belief in the negation of this divine principle constitutes what is called in all religions unbelief. And this unbelief is manifested as a sinful, troubled, and imperfect life. Where there is right belief, there is a blameless and perfect life. Where there is false belief, there is sin, there is sorrow. The mind and life are improperly governed, and there is affliction and unrest. By their fruits ye shall know them. There is much talk about belief in Jesus. But what does belief in Jesus mean? It means belief in his words, in the principles he enunciated and lived, in his commandments, and in his exemplary life of perfection. He who declares belief in Jesus, and yet is all the time living in his lusts and indulgences, or in the spirit of hatred and condemnation, is self-deceived. He believes not in Jesus. He believes in his own animal self. 
as a faithful servant delights in carrying out the commands of his master. So he who believes in Jesus carries out his commandments and so is saved from sin. The supreme test of belief in Jesus is this. Do I keep his commandments? And this test is applied by St. John himself in the following words. He that saith, I know him, Jesus, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the word of God perfected. It will be found after a rigid and impartial analysis that belief lies at the root of all human conduct. Every thought, every act, every habit is the direct outcome of a certain fixed belief. And one's conduct alters only as one's beliefs are modified. What we cling to, in that we believe. What we practice, in that we believe. When our belief in a thing ceases, we can no longer cling to or practice it. It falls away from us as a garment outworn. Men cling to their lusts and lies and vanities because they believe in them, believe there is gain and happiness in them. When they transfer their belief to the divine qualities of purity and humility, those sins trouble them no more. Men are saved from error by belief in the supremacy of truth. They are saved from sin by belief in holiness or perfection. They are saved from evil by belief in good. For every belief is manifested in the life. It is not necessary to inquire as to a man's theological belief, for that is of little or no account. For what can avail a man to believe that Jesus died for him, or that Jesus is God, or that he is justified by faith, if he continues to live in his lower sinful nature? All that is necessary to ask is this. How does a man live? How does he conduct himself under trying circumstances? The answer to these questions will show 
whether a man believes in the power of evil or in the power of good. He who believes in the power of good lives a good, spiritual, or godly life. For goodness is God, yea, verily is God himself. And he will soon leave behind him all sins and sorrows who believes with steadfast and unwavering faith in the supreme good. Okay, we will, that's, that's the section called Belief, the Basis of Action. Let's take a quick break. Thanks again to Anya for the musical interlude. This one I can actually pronounce. This little, this musical piece is called Watermark. It's the first track off of her album Watermark, which is arguably it well, I, I guess you can argue anything, but Watermark is just a tremendous album, very relaxing, soothing. From start to finish, it's it's just a it's a masterpiece in my in my book, in my judgment. So welcome back to the Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net, and you can find our phone number and Skype handle there. And I've just turned on the phone ringer. So that if you call now, I'll hear you calling. And I also have the Skype up here ready to go, so you can call using Skype. Um, you can see all our past episodes on the website as well. Just wanted to mention that. So there you have it. You know, this, you know, you can tell this book is getting a little more serious here. I mean, we just read Belief, The Basis of Action. And it's, I mean, is... This is so common sense, it's unbelievable that people can, or anyone, can say they believe in something, they can write that they believe in something, but their actions always tell the truth. And he says, if you don't, if you don't have to ask someone what they believe in, you just have to observe how they live, right? What were those two questions? He said to ask, 
Yeah, all that is necessary is to ask this. How does a man live? How does he conduct himself under trying circumstances? Right? When we sort of know intuitively that that's how you can judge a person's character, right? How they act. Because the actions come from a deeper belief and thoughts and all, you know, everything more subtle. Action is the gross outcome of subtle causes, if you will. And those subtle causes are thoughts and beliefs. I mean, it's so simple. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And and you know what? You We can even look at our own lives. And um, you can tell what your own beliefs are, what they really are. For instance, if you're always, you know, if someone is always worried about money and trying to save money and, you know, um, trying to always worried about money, then their belief is that there's not enough money to go around and they have to fight for their share. And either they're going to be poor or their neighbor's going to be poor. So they have to, you know, earn more money and save more money than their neighbor. Right? It's a very uh, limited view of the world. It's not, it's not an abundant attitude. It's a scarcity mentality, right? So it's a belief in scarcity that there's not enough to go around and I might have nothing or I may end up with nothing. And that's really the belief. And where do these beliefs come from? Uh, well, we've, we've uh, <clears throat> I've talked about this before, but... They come from uh, a lot of different places, mostly our family and our upbringing and our society, right? By the time from the age of zero to seven, approximately, we're just, we're programmed. We're like little computers and we're programmed about our beliefs, our so-called beliefs. And, And of course, after that, you can see, again, by a person's actions, what they really believe. And he brings up, uh, he, he look, he talks a lot about Jesus in this little passage, doesn't he? He talks a lot about Jesus. And, and so let's, let's not use the word Jesus. Let's just use uh, religion. Because what, he, what he's getting at is the fact that a lot of people make a lot of noise and uh, make a big deal about their faith and that their religion is the only religion or their God is the only God. and You know, and they put down other religions and they're so loud and vocal about their so-called belief. But then if you look at their actions, if you look at the way they live, they're full of fear. You know, many people, not everyone course so that that's kind of like uh it's 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 very apparent at at, i don't know i to me it, it was at some point in my life i think when i was 
yeah, probably when I was in my early teens, I kind of realized that everybody who went to my church, when they go into church, everyone is so holy and, you know, bow your head and be quiet, you know, with a serious look on your face. And, uh, but then when everyone leaves church, everyone's back to their own self, you know, doing all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing. And I thought, this doesn't match up. This isn't integrity, you know. Something's wrong. I mean, why why go into some place and pretend to be something and then leave and then that's it? So that I kind of realized that pretty early. Um, and I think that's what James Allen here is really talking about. That people in religions, it, it's almost like they hide behind their religion. They just want to say that they're part of a religion and, and take refuge under that banner of religion and feel that whatever they do is good because they're part of that religion, which is complete nonsense. And that's exactly what James Allen is saying. We need to judge or evaluate a person's beliefs on their actions and their actions alone. And again, spirituality looking inwards, we have to judge our own beliefs by our own actions alone. So it's that's um that's not easy to do, right? To to kind of evaluate yourself. But uh might be good you know, one of the things we do in the um pause your life meetups and retreats is uh we pair up and we do what we call a walk and talk. So you have a partner and you um you get you you get to talk and you get to listen and it the way we do it is very um I won't say strict, but basically when one person's talking, the other person's listening and listening only, not talking, just listening. And it gives the other person a chance to talk. So the walk and talk would be a really good, it could be a good um, process to use to sort of talk about and think about our own actions and our own beliefs. And one of those, one one belief is, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to someone yesterday here in the studio, and she knows who she is. I, I don't think she's listening, though. She might listen to the, the podcast. Anyway, she, um, she has what the, she thinks is a bad habit, like smoking, okay? She smokes, and... She thinks it's a, she told me, oh, it's a bad habit. And I kind of, I kind of was getting a little, tried to get a little philosophical with her. And I said, I said, well, doing it is one thing, but I said, thinking about, thinking about it and thinking that it's a bad thing and sort of brooding over that, that this is a bad thing. I said, that's another thing. So I was making the distinction between doing the action and then 
all the thinking around that action that, oh, it's bad, I shouldn't do it, I'm not able to stop, oh, it's bad, right? All that thinking. And I asked her, I said, which, which do you think is worse, actually doing it or all that thinking? Actually, I, and, and she said, oh, doing it is bad. And I said, I disagree. I think all that thinking about it is worse. Because things by themselves are, in a way, not good or bad. Anyway, it was a little interesting discussion I had with her because I said, look, some people have smoked cigarettes and lived till 110 years old and they're still smoking. It doesn't affect them at all. I said, what about them? So she didn't have an answer. Now, is smoking good for you or bad for you? I don't know. It's probably bad for you. And that's, I agree. I I could agree with that, but that's not my point. My point is that thinking over and over and brooding over the fact that it's bad and thinking that you're a bad person because you're doing it, I think that's even worse. So it comes down to beliefs, right? Because if she really believed it was really bad, she wouldn't do it. So by her actions, you can tell that she doesn't think it's that bad. It's just society telling her, oh, that's bad, or her family telling her that's bad. That's it. So see how, I mean, every little thing in our life, we can be so conflicted and confused and and, and not knowing what we think or feel. But again, like James Allen says here, you just break it all down into the actions and you can tell a person's beliefs. So how do you change a belief? That's a good question. How do you change a belief? Well, one of the ways I talk about in my book and also in my presentations is um, basic. Well, the first step is to figure out what your beliefs are in general. You don't have to get too specific. But you kind of figure out what your beliefs are. You can either write it down or just talk with another person and, and write it down. Figure out what your beliefs are in a certain area. You can't do it in every area at the same time. There's Life is too broad for that. Figure out what your beliefs are and then figure out what you want them to be. So... If your belief is that smoking is okay, but you want your belief to be that smoking is not okay and I don't smoke, that's good. So you you can see we can create our beliefs actually. And we can recreate them. We can destroy them. We can uh I mean, it's just a belief. You're a human being. You're a zillion times more powerful than one belief. So we we can choose our beliefs. And um, now that doesn't mean it's easy to change. That doesn't mean it's easy to choose. And it doesn't mean it's easy to evaluate yourself either. Probably none of it is easy, but it's totally doable. 
And um, so once you know what your belief, what you want your belief to be, then there's different ways to do it. You can create a lot of, you know, you can write out a vision statement, stating all that and read it every day. You can write out affirmations about yourself, positive affirmations, read them every day. And uh, so basically what you're doing is you're uh, creating a new thought pattern. And if you keep thinking about the new thought pattern, saying the new thought pattern, reading the new thought pattern, maybe talking with other people about the new thought pattern, maybe talking with new friends or new associates about the new thought pattern. If you keep talking and, and focusing on the new thought pattern, over time, it'll become ingrained in you, and it'll that'll be your belief. It's just a habit. A belief is just a habitual way of thinking, if you think about it that way. So we have to change the habit of thinking. So how do you change it? Well, you start small. Like I said, affirmations and vision statements, whatever else, and you just keep going. And it's going to take some time. But if you keep going, it'll change. Absolutely. There's no there's no way you can fail, actually. And what's cool is that once you change your belief, the action follows. Like you don't have to worry about the action. It just it'll follow. That's one mistake people make when they try to change their actions and their conduct without changing their beliefs or their thoughts. I mean, that's crazy, right? Because your thoughts and beliefs cause your action. So a lot of, a lot of us set ourselves up for failure. We, we try to change a habit. Like we try to quit smoking, but without changing any beliefs or thoughts, I mean, it, you, you will not be successful. You will fail. You'll stop for four hours and then you'll be outside smoking. Why? Because your beliefs and thoughts haven't changed. So it's, it's very good. Uh, it's a good practice to go to the root of the problem. Make the change at the root and the change will trickle down to all the other or trickle up if you think of a <laughs> the root of a tree or a plant. And uh, so start at the root, the cause, the root cause, make the change there and it'll trickle down. And this, that's in every area of life, in every arena of action, of society, of personal conduct, your circumstances, your, your, you know, personal circumstances, your national circumstances. The only way things will change for you or your state or your country is if you go to the root cause of the problem and make the change there. And of course, that's one of the things that on earth today, especially in America, we just want to fix we don't want to go to the root of the problem. We just want to uh, alleviate the, the symptoms. We want to just put a Band-Aid on something and hope that it changes. And, of course, it doesn't. 
It gets worse. So, well, there you go. Beliefs, there's a little bit more on beliefs, how to change beliefs. And um like to know what you think about beliefs. Have you ever tried to change a belief for yourself? Have you ever endeavored to change one of your beliefs? Or did you ever think of what your beliefs are? Did you ever write down some of your beliefs? All right, so we'll just take a quick break. We'll be right back on The Mystic Show. Thank you to Sinead O'Connor for In This Heart. It's a beautiful song. It's all a cappella, no instruments. Welcome back to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran. And uh, if you want to tell me your name, you can call the show. <laughs> well, when we do the show live, you can call. Like if you're listening to a podcast right now, I mean, obviously... I mean, you could call the number, but I don't <laughs> I don't know if I'll be here and we certainly won't be recording the show. Uh so unless you happen to be listening to an old podcast while I'm doing a live show, a new show live, that would be weird. That would be cool though. <clears throat> kind of like fate or destiny for you to call up and get on the air. So I'd like to know some of your uh some of your um, opinions about what I'm, what we're talking about here, and you can uh, once the once the shows are on the website, themysticshow.net. You can always go to the post and actually comment on the post. You can ask a question, you know, just write whatever you want and um, make a comment on what we're talking about. So if you don't want to call up, you can always just comment on the website. All right, so. I mentioned Pause Your Life earlier. I don't know. Have you signed up for the daily email, Pause Your Life? It's called the Daily Pause. And uh, if you go to pauseyourlife.org, and just on the right side, you can sign up for the email list, and you'll get a quote in your email box every morning, or, yeah, every day, depending on where you are in the world. And, uh, yeah, it's a good excuse for you to just pause, to take a moment just be a human being for 30 seconds 
and no, nothing else. So I, um, a while back, I started doing mastermind groups, and I don't know if you're familiar with the mastermind group principle. It was put forth in a book, a monumental book. Let's let's just be real honest about it. A uh, monumental is a is a good word to describe this book. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich. This was published in 1937, and he spent 20 years researching and writing this book. And uh, Napoleon Hill did this. Um, he was encouraged by uh, Andrew Carnegie to do that. And at the time, Andrew Carnegie was the wealthiest person in the world. And Andrew Carnegie said, you know, I know how to make money. Making money is easy. Uh, But a lot of people don't know the principles behind it and don't know how to create results in their life. So he encouraged Napoleon Hill to do a lot of research, interview a lot of successful people, and basically, you know, distill it down into one book that could actually convey to people how to become successful and to become abundant and how to think and grow rich. And the title says it all, Think and Grow Rich, because thinking is the whole key. And he gets into that in the book. Um, this is a this is like, I call it the godfather of all self-help books. I think this, in a way, sort of launched the whole personal development uh, industry as we know it today. Of course, there was before that there was the New Thought movement, and before that there was other things as well. Uh, but this this book, Think and Grow Rich, somehow puts it into a lot more modern perspective, and um, it's definitely a classic. So one of the principles in the book he talks about the mastermind principle, and the whole idea is that you by yourself. You have a mind, obviously. You can think, yes. You're creative, yes. You can come up with new ideas, yes. You can solve problems, yes. But by yourself, you have a certain amount of power. But what happens when you get together with two or three or four other people and you, let's say it's five people, and all five of you work on a problem or an issue or try to try to creative problem solving when five people focus on one thing the power is not just five times that of one person it's exponential so you working on a problem by yourself that's let's call it one unit of power that you have one unit of power and now you get four other people, so there's five of you, and you all work on the problem. It's not five units of power, actually. It's more like 25 units because it's exponential. When you get a lot of people together, or a few people even, and you focus on a problem, you kind of like 
add the brain power of every person. And so each person's mind actually becomes stronger and actually a mastermind is created sort of like a mastermind, which encompasses all your individual minds. And that mastermind is way more powerful than each of you individually and even more powerful than you as a group just added together. And this is uh, one of the secrets of very successful people. They, they get together with other people and they, they're very focused and they, they like each other and they help each other and they tap into this power of the mastermind. Um, and that's how they steer clear of problems. That's how they solve problems. That's how they get creative solutions from the universe. Uh, so the mastermind principle is is huge. And how does it work practically? Well, um, it's easy. You you and two or three or four other people just decide to get together every week or two. Or you could do it even once a month. But um, you get together and you you get together for about anywhere from an hour to three hours. And then you just... Each, you give each person a certain amount of time to talk about what their issues are or what their problems might be. And then the whole group tries to solve those problems or those issues. And um, I've been involved in many of these groups, and it I'm telling you, it really works. It's really more powerful than you can even imagine. And um, I... So I used to, in my business, when I was uh, doing business coaching, I would um, gather groups of people and I would do like an eight-week program based on the mastermind principle and also based on the whole book, Think and Grow Rich, all the principles in there. The mastermind principle is just one of those principles, actually. Um, so... One of the things we talked about, and, and one of the things Napoleon Hill talks about first in his book, it's actually in the introduction. The introduction is called Mind Power. Yep, Mind Power. And he talks about definiteness of purpose. Now, definiteness of purpose is huge because, well, first of all, he talks about it first. Out of 20 years of research... He talks about this first, and he says this is the most important thing, period. Definiteness of purpose. And he goes on to tell the story of a man named Edward C. Barnes. All right, Mr. Barnes. And Mr. Barnes, uh, and again, this is probably about 100 years ago, Mr. Barnes wanted to work with Thomas Edison. And he didn't just want to work for him. He wanted to be a business partner with Thomas Edison. Like literally be in business and partnered with Thomas Edison. And Mr. Barnes was like uh, just a regular guy from the suburbs, you know, didn't have any special schooling, didn't have any really qualifications. He just said, you know what? I want to become business partners with Thomas Edison. 
So what did he do? He got on a train and he went to, uh, took a train to, I think it's West Orange, New Jersey, which is actually not far from here. And he went in to see Mr. Thomas Edison and, and to put him on notice that he was going to be business partners with him. <laughs> and he really did this. He went in there and he said, Mr. Edison, I want to be business partners with you. And Thomas Edison looked at him and he, he wrote later that he looked like a tramp, which means he looked like a bum, you know, dirty clothes and, you know, maybe kind of looked homeless, sort of, maybe not that disheveled, but he looked like a tramp, he said. And, and, but Thomas Edison was taken aback by this, by the boldness of, uh, Mr. Barnes. He's like, wow, how could someone come in off the street and say, I want to be business partners with you? So he would have just told Mr. Barnes to go away, leave me alone, you know, get out of here, or I'll call the cops. He normally would have said that, but because he was so bold and he saw some look in his eye, he saw some look in Mr. Barnes's eye, and he said, you know what? We're not going to be business partners, but I'll give you a job. Now, Mr. Barnes could have said, you know what? I don't want a job. I want to be partners. That's it. And in which case he would have been thrown out and that's it. But Mr. Barnes knew that this might take some time. And he was willing to bide his time. He was willing to be patient. So he said, okay, I'll take the job. No problem. Whatever it is, I'll, I'll do it. So he started doing this job and he did it really well. He focused on doing the job the best he could. And he kept looking around he kept his a keen eye open for any possibilities, any ideas, any opportunities. And what he noticed was one of um one of Thomas Edison's newer inventions, he it was a good invention. I I'm not sure what it was. It might have been a dictaphone or something. Some some a new electronic invention. And it was a good invention, but it wasn't selling very well at all. In fact, the sales were really, really bad. So, Mr. Barnes, because he was keeping a keen eye out for any opportunity, right? He had his purpose in mind. He wanted to be partners with Thomas Edison, period. He kept thinking about it all day, every day. So, he saw an opportunity. He went to Mr. He went to Thomas Edison and said, look, I see that this division of your company is not doing very well. The sales aren't doing well. He says, I'm willing to help you with that. I'll be, I'll be your partner in this small division of the business, and I'll, I'll get it going. I'll work on it. And you know what? Thomas Edison said, go for it. Let's do it. And guess what? Because... Of his definiteness of purpose, he became business partners with Thomas Edison. And he went on to succeed. He got the sales going. He boosted the sales and that his division became profitable. 
And Thomas Edison liked him a lot. And they were business partners for the next however many years, many years. So the definiteness of purpose is very important. I mean, that that's like the one thing that you need. If you have that, everything else seems to fall into place. I mean, he he was a nobody from the suburbs. He looked like a tramp. Yet he walked into the office and said, I want to be business partners with you, Thomas Edison. I mean, that's crazy, right? Well, guess what? No, it's not crazy. It's somebody with definiteness of purpose and that look in their eye that they're going to do it and it'll work. And I'm just going to work real hard. I'm just going to keep working hard until it works. You know, people like that cannot be denied. They will achieve their goal, period. There's no chance of failure. Now, it might take some time, but it'll happen. So how can we take this definiteness of purpose concept and apply it to our spiritual journey? How would you do that? Do you have a definite purpose for your spiritual practice or your spiritual learning or your spiritual activities? Do you have a definite purpose or is it just just to do something or or is it just to relax? So, whatever your purpose is, it's good to be definite and it's good to keep going after it until you get get your result. You will get your result. And if your purpose is to reach the highest spiritual goal available to a human being, which again is could be called something like oneness with God or self-realization or God-realization, right? If that's your goal, are you really definite on the purpose? And are you willing to, like Mr. Barnes, do what it takes for as long as you need to do it? And knowing that you will reach there. So that's where we'll leave it today. Definiteness of purpose. There was two other stories I wanted to tell, but I don't have time. Maybe we'll have to tell them tomorrow. So thank you for listening. Go to our website, themysticshow.net. See all the past episodes. You can comment on them. You can share them with your friends. So as you move through your day, smile. I think today's a good day to smile. Smile at people just for no reason (laughs) and watch their strange reactions. All right, well, have some fun with your life. Keep a good vibration, and as always, keep shining.